No, continue with the with the, the, the okay, pink grape, okay, green the, grape thing. I'm yeah, okay. Green grapes. Yeah. White wine. Yeah. Purple grapes. Red wine. Yeah. Brown grapes. Orange wine. Wow. <laughs> okay, you can stop recording. <laughs> Welcome to the Montage Podcast. Well, welcome to 2019 and episode 14 of the Montage podcast. Uh, it's the companion podcast to the online magazine Montage.wtf, and this is a very special episode um, because uh, this episode we're focusing purely on one thing. Catherine, who's joining me across the table, would you like to explain exactly what this episode entails? This week we are looking ahead. It is the 2019 predictions special edition. We're going to let you know everything you can expect in the world of technology and beyond in the coming year. And uh, these are not your boring uh, tech predictions that you may find in other boring tech publications. Uh, These are based on uh, the thoughts of Isaac Asimov, uh, Ray Kurzweil and others. Is that correct? Yes, as well as totally unlicensed fortune tellers and some very well-known ones like Nostradamus. Uh, We're looking at trend forecasts. We're looking at technology, global events. Um, So everything that might happen uh, in the coming year that's weird, unusual, and will screw up your world in relation to technology. All that and more on this week's episode of The Montage. The Montage Podcast. Now, you may notice that there's only two of us speaking this week. It's uh, Catherine, uh, who's sitting over the table, the uh, Montag's most uh, inventive writer, and uh, me, Joe Sparrow, the editor of Montag and the Montage. Uh, Tom, Overlord Tom, is on an extended experiential information gathering exercise as a cruise ship captain, believe it or not, on the Norwegian fjords. Uh, we're not sure when he's going to return, but he has sent this message uh, just by carrier pigeon the other day. Ahoy, Montag Podcasts. Day 43 at sea. Our journey into the unknown is a steady yet uncertain one. Morale amongst the crew is good, and the passengers are attaining new levels of zen as they watch the craggy hills roll by. As my captives, I am secretly microdosing their food, and so far, they appear to be responding well. Although the suggestion box is filled with requests for the orbs, a huge, ever-growing, pulsating brain that rules from the centre of the ultra-world to be played over the PA system. I aim to return to the Montag Shed one day, bearing gifts of tinned, putrefied fish, a functioning liberal socialist democracy, and many, many barrels of North Sea oil. Your salty shipmate, Tom. P.S. Don't hate me, because you ain't me. Uh, so that came in just the other day, and we wish him well in the Norwegian fjords. Montag.wtf and the Montage is brought to you by Grover, the fresh alternative to owning things. Check out the latest stuff to rent from Grover right now at getgrover.com, and you can enjoy tomorrow today. Uh, so what is the Montage 
usually we broadcast from a shed or a cupboard. This week we're recording from a normal room. An improvement of sorts, I guess. Um, Montag is a magazine, weekly email and podcast stuffed with features and short fiction about human connections to technology. Uh, At the moment, we are online on issue six, and print edition three is out. The gorgeous print edition is currently being splurged to workspaces, cafes and bars all over Germany, and residents of Hamburg, you should be witnessing one of those splurges happening right now. So, uh, we've come to check out uh, Ray Kurzweil's predictions for 2019. Now, this is based on an article Catherine's just done, part one online. The link is below the podcast uh, of coming, uh, upcoming exciting things in 2019. We thought we would focus specifically on Ray Kurzweil's predictions. Now, we talked about Ray Kurzweil in episode seven, and he's made a series of very, well, a, a series of predictions which seem to have all come true. He seems to be a latter day Nostradamus when it comes to technology, right? So, can you explain what we're going to be looking at? on this very special podcast. So according to Ray himself, uh, something like 90%, is that correct? 80 or 90% of his predictions have come true. And the predictions that we are looking at today are from his books, The Age of Intelligent Machines, published in 1990, and The Age of Spiritual Machines, published in 1999. And these are Ray's predictions, or should we say Mr. Kurzweil? Yeah, let's go. He's a genius, so the respect is due, I guess. These are Mr. K's predictions for the early 2000s, the early 21st century, uh, and 2019, the year we are inhabiting now. So we're going to, first of all, check some of the predictions that he made for a few years ago, see if he was on track. Um, and then sort of shoot forward a bit to see if he if he was getting it closer to what we expected, and see, and then he has a series of very specific predictions for this year, doesn't he? Yeah, and there must be a lot more predictions that he has made than are listed on the Wikipedia page of his predictions because I'm not finding spoiler alert that they are eighty to ninety percent accurate. Well, there is actually, we must say this, that he, he is well regarded as being the sort of soothsayer of um, modern technology. But um, he has sort of self-identified his hit rate between 80 to 90 percent. Other people have said he's much lower, around 30 to 35 percent. Uh, I, re- I reckon the truth is somewhere in between the two. Um, but obviously, you know, take some of these numbers with a pinch of salt. But I think we can say that generally he is, he's been very right so far. So perhaps we can start with some early 2000s ones to, to, to see what he was up to then. So in the 1990 book, The Age of Intelligent Machines, in the early 2000s he predicted, translating telephones allow people to speak to each other in different languages. Do we have translating telephones? Not quite. We should also mention that he is currently employed by Google to help them develop futuristic technology that they are bringing into the world. So it could be that he's getting a higher hit rate because he is making his predictions be fulfilled by (laughs) Google. Right. Self-fulfilling prophecies are okay in our book. Um, But yeah, translating telephones, allowing people to speak to each other in different languages. We're pretty close to that, right? Yes, if you have a first or second generation Google Pixel phone and the Pixel Buds, they do work with Google Translate to approximate something like real-time translation. 
Microsoft is also trying this, and a company called Pilot that called their earbuds the Babblefish. Fun little hitchhiker's guide reference there. Yeah, the the, the dream, the, the fish in the ear. Um, I mean, the, so in the, that sounds, you know, if you went back 20 years, that would have sounded like an impossible uh, crazy thing. And yet we kind of go, oh, yeah, well, of course, you can do instant translations now. So he was right about that, was he? But he was... He made that prediction in the early noughties? Is that right? He predicted that this would be a real thing in the early 2000s. And we don't quite have it here in 2019, so... So he's about 20 years out with that. Um, I'm going to give him an... uh, uh. But but nice try, Ray. It's close. Yeah. It's coming. Um, I've got another one on your list here, which is... Um, exoskeletal robotic leg prostheses which allow the paraplegic to walk. Yes, and we definitely do have these in development here in 2019. They probably were in development in the early 2000s, but I think to be a mass consumer product, the ones that people are using most often now or will probably be using most often in the future, the parts are actually 3D printed. So they can be customized to your existing uh, body form. Um, but exobionics, uh, who are also creating exoskeletons for construction and industrial workers and super soldiers, um, are already making these leg prostheses that do help the paraplegic in addition to physical therapy in the exoskeletons. Right, okay. And and while speaking of um, enabling people who have... Um, sort of uh, disabilities we have machines designed to transcribe speech into computer text to allow deaf people to understand spoken words but that one is very clearly available today it's something i use for transcribing interviews and things like that all the time so it feels like and there's another one here um uh, cybernetics chauffeurs driving cars for humans and can be retrofitted are we, are we sort of the tesla uh, system sort of or does he mean more autonomously than that He says they work by communicating with other vehicles and with sensors embedded along the roads, and we definitely don't have that. I think the closest thing is what Waymo is doing. So if you have the Waymo app in your phone, um, it actually does communicate, I think, with other cars or other drivers that are using Waymo, but it certainly doesn't drive for you. There are Waymo uh, self-driving cars being tested in Arizona. And, and how well uh, are they going down with the locals? Yeah, not well. <laughs> they are being run off of the roads with other cars, pelted with rocks, uh-huh. and their human drivers are being threatened with guns and PVC pipes. <laughs> PVC pipes, the uh, weapon of choice in Arizona. Uh, I presume that this is the uh, neo-Luddite movement, um, for want of a better way of putting it, people protesting against automation. I presume the people who are putting bricks through these windows are drivers, are human drivers, protesting against these cars. And uh, I think we all can have a bit of sympathy for them. So those, pr- those predictions he made for the early noughties are pretty spot on, just not for that time period. He was out by about 20 years. Yeah, we're, we're seeing some of them now. And actually, regarding uh, human to self-driving car violence, there is also... Self-driving car violence on robot violence uh, at CES uh, this year in Las Vegas. A self-driving car did run over an autonomous, I believe it was a pepper, robot. Um, so a self-driving car ran over a robot in possibly the first robot-on-robot crime 
Do we have any information on the state of the robot? I think it's. I think it just got knocked over. We have the technology. We can rebuild him. Um, uh, you actually, you mentioned in the last podcast that uh, AI in self-driving cars has a sort of rationale of people that it will and won't run over. Pregnant women being the person it will most avoid. If it has to hit one of two people, it won't hit the pregnant lady. It'll hit anybody else. Uh, male lawyers, I think, were very low down the list. Uh, is there any um, calculation in this AI for other AIs? I mean, you would think if the AIs were self-preserving, they would spare other robots before humans. But I think luckily for humans, they haven't learned to identify each other yet. Not yet. But it's probably for the best that they don't. This is how Skynet uh, went online. Uh, but it will be interesting. To, I, I can see a really tiresome case in the future where uh, a Google car has the choice of running another Google car or um, a Tesla car off the road, and it will run the Tesla car off the road because it's sparing its overlords at Google the expense of repairing the Google car, which would be a really t capitalism at its uh, most tedious, I think. Or uh, it wants the insurance money from the oh. Tesla because the Tesla driver is going to pay out for the damages, right? Ooh, now that's a good theory. <laughs> so, so, so autonomous insurance scams yeah don't tell me you've never thought about getting hit by an autonomous car for insurance oh i've thought about it yeah i've, I've got a very detailed plan uh, i'm going to become a uh, male lawyer i'm much more likely to get hit then um so he has another bunch of predictions that we've got here from which he said in the early 21st century so this could incorporate i guess any period between 2000 and 2025, should we say? Is it being generous? or? Yeah. Okay. Here to 2050. I mean, this is now. Okay. So this is more general period, but uh, this is what Ray thinks is possibly going to happen right now. These predictions were made in 1990, worth saying. Right. So first one is the classroom is dominated by computers, intelligent courseware that can tailor itself to each student by recognizing their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Now, you'd think this one would be pretty easy. I use Duolingo, the uh, the language app, quite a lot to try and make my terrible German into merely average German. And I'm sort of, I think it's really, really good, but I'm always a little bit disappointed that it can't better identify my weaknesses and help me with them, which I, th I would have thought would be fairly simple to do, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I don't think we have this technology, um, at least not in most of the world. I think the best it can do is make a really cute cartoon owl cry every time you don't get better at learning German. This is how Duolingo has most improved, is, is the animations of the incredibly cute owl. Um, another prediction, he says a small number of people, of highly skilled people, dominates the entire production sector. Tailoring of products for individuals is common. Now, this one is very interesting because it feels like we're just about there. I mean, this is two kind of weird predictions put into one. And again, this is from a Wikipedia list. This was not compiled directly from the books. There are no page number citations. It seems like these are two different predictions because tailoring of products for individuals, that's happening a lot. You can get, you know, shampoo for your blood type and uh, diet for your genome and special mattresses for your special spine. Um, we, we see a lot of those popping up in consumer goods right now, but the production sector being overtaken by geniuses and robots is pretty far from happening. We do still have human labor in the production sector. 
Yes, and even talking about Tesla again, they had to de-autonomize their production line just to hit production targets. So we, we don't seem to be quite there yet in terms of um, we still need, quote-unquote, non-highly skilled people to complete a lot of labor that we require. And particularly at the moment, it's still cheaper. It's still cheaper to open a factory, a sweatbox factory in um, another country, a developing country, than, than building and getting robots to do it. Um, here's an interesting one. Drugs are designed and tested in simulations that mimic the human body. Um, there are, yes, there are companies trying to do this, but there are no actual drug trials yet. A couple of the articles I read when researching this said that um, CAD, like consumer or computer-assisted design programs, were helping a lot with modeling systems like the circulatory system and seeing what would happen with different drug interactions but there are no actual drug trials yet as as far as I could tell um, one of the main points that's pushing this ahead actually is uh, animal rights if we have virtual humans to test drugs on then there should be no reason to test them on cute little bunny rabbits. Yeah, leave the bunny rabbits out of this. And I, I, I read about a, um, a company, I can't remember where it was, but it's in Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, and they're 3D printing human skin so that you can test products on this, this sort of living flesh that is human but not attached to a human. This is probably not a male problem, but have you ever seen uh, women who, who swatch makeup? I have seen this. I've yeah. seen this happen. Yeah, I've witnessed this. Yes. Now imagine that you could just put, you know, a, a piece of skin mm. over the back of your hand that was grown identical to your skin, swatch all your makeup on it, and then peel it off. You just hang it on the wall. You've got all your skin swatches. <laughs> Welcome to the future. Uh, if you ever go to Catherine's house in <laughs> 10 years' time and wonder what the big piece of skin hanging off the bathroom wall is next to the mirror... You know what that is. You'll have people just peeling entire <laughs> limbs off in Sephora. It'll be glorious. Wow. Uh, welcome to the future where skin suits are available for all, not just psychopaths. Um, there's one more interesting one, again, from his um, early his 1990 book. Um, blind people navigate and can read using machines. Your note here is that in Japan there is a robot uh, seeing dog so a, a, a dog for the blind that is a robot yeah i found a, a 2013 maybe 2014 um study by the nsk in japan um it was a, a university lab where a blindfolded scientist was being led around by what looked like a, an early you know boston dynamics type prototype dog that uses a connect camera to detect proximity um, that this could be the future of of guide dogs for sure. That that would be, I mean, good and bad because who doesn't love to see a a guide dog wandering around? Um, but it probably there would be benefits if we didn't have to train lots and lots of beautiful golden retrievers, and they could just live on the puppy farm for the rest of their life playing with each other, gambling freely around. Um, so we've got a few more here, which are perhaps a little bit less... Um, well, these are, these are for the sort of next year onwards. Um, he's made three predictions which haven't happened yet, but feasibly could. Uh, number one, phone, call in, phone calls entail three-dimensional... So this is between 2020 and 2050, he's saying. And these are predictions from 1990. Phone calls entail three-dimensional holographic images of both people. Now, we don't have that yet. No. But it feels pretty close. 
Not a thing. I think if we do have this in in the future timeline we live in now, they will be heavily Snapchat filtered holographic representations because nobody wants to send a holographic image of what they actually look like IRL at that moment. But I bet you will be able to send a Snapchat filtered or similarly beautified holographic image of yourself. Now, this is a really interesting point because when, when these predictions were made, there was an assumption that we would want these things. And it turns out that actually a lot of the time that we don't want these things. We don't, we, you know, we would like the sort of semi-anonymity of a phone call with voice only. By 2020, so in one year's time, there will be a new world government. Yeah, big prediction here. Um, in the research for the article on 2019 predictions, I found that Isaac Asimov also predicted in 1983 a world government to deal with the pollution of the planet. And that's before we knew anything about climate change. I think it was more of a, like, um, yeah, uh, industrial waste thing and also a um, nuclear annihilation fear thing. Um, Doesn't seem likely anytime soon. But frankly, who knows? Yeah, with the current world leadership that we have... um, probably not going to convince everyone to get along and form a global coalition but yeah i guess anything can happen and some people say that there is already a shadowy world government illuminati structure so i mean maybe maybe it's already here big shout out to david ike um and finally uh, between 2020 and 2050 a computer passes the turing test becoming the first true artificial intelligence. Uh, first of all, can you d- briefly describe what the Turing test is and how close we are to that? Everyone knows the well, Turing test by now. I think so. We talk about it like every other episode, but the Turing test being um, a, a an observer is speaking to uh, two people, a computer and a machine, the computer is trying to convince you it is human, and the human is also trying to convince you that it's human. And if you can't tell them apart, the computer wins. It passes the Turing test. Um, and this apparently happened for the first time officially in 2014. Yeah, I found a BBC News article about a computer program called Eugene Gustman, which simulates a 13-year-old Ukrainian boy. And and that that Ukrainian fellow apparently convinced people that he was a human and he was really a computer i would have probably fallen for that on based on the fact that i don't know any 13 year old ukrainian boys just for the sake of clarity and i wouldn't uh i don't know what they talk about you know i I could be easily fooled in that case but congrats eugene gustman so he i mean this is from his 1990 book so he was sort of predicting 20 to 30 years, 40 years in the future. He's actually done pretty well, but he seems, for some of the, the very sort of nitty-gritty things, a little bit out. But he, in terms of the concepts, he's, he's, his soothsaying was good. Yeah, and between 1990 and 1999, a lot of shit happened <laughs> in the world of technology. Right, which brings us on. So then he released another book in 1999, The Age of Spiritual Machines. Um, and in this book, he made specific predictions 20 years in the future, so for 2019. And hence, here we are in 2019, and we're going to see if A, these have happened, uh, and B, if they are likely to, uh, to happen this year. 
Right. So maybe um, I can break them down just to ones that I referenced in our our 2019 predictions article. Um, Also, because I've I've already thought about them a little bit so I can sound a little smarter. Um, So the the first part of our 2019 predictions is the apocalypse and climate change. Is it the end of the world in 2019? Are we past the point of no return as far as heating the planet? Mr. K's predictions uh, are that worldwide economic growth has continued. There has not been a global economic collapse. What do you think, Joe? Global economic <laughs> collapse coming to a well, globe near you? As much, as much as I love chaos and seeing everything I hold dear being devalued and scrapped over by a panicking uh, uh, global population, I'm pleased to see that Uh, economic growth in the world is kind of normal. There's a lot we'd all like to change about the economy uh, and the way it is uh, being uh, driven, uh, I guess. And um, but apocalypse and climate change. This was a big. This was a bold step for him to say that it would be happening in this year. It would have. We'd have to. We'd have to pretty much step up the whole coal and oil burning to really uh, drive home uh, the climate change disaster. But it's feasible. I mean, there's, you know, there's, it's, I, we, we keep hearing things like beyond the tipping point and um, polar ice, lowest levels yet. So maybe we'll still make it, folks. Good news. <laughs> Ray will be right. I mean, I think we're doomed, but... <laughs> Good to know. And on that happy note, um, let's move on to some less exciting things like smart cities and self-driving cars. Yeah, so if we don't all self immolate uh, on the surface of the planet thanks to global warming. Uh, One of the predictions is public places and workplaces are ubiquitously monitored to prevent violence and all actions are recorded permanently. Personal privacy is a major political issue and some people protect themselves with unbreakable computer codes. Now, we can connect to this one pretty well. Yeah, now we're talking. Personal privacy as a political issue, that is really hot right now. Yeah. A A plus, 100%, gold star, this is what's happening in 2019. Uh, The ubiquitous monitoring of workplaces and public places, maybe you can say how that's going? Well, obviously, uh, on a a governmental level in China, there's 170 million uh, CCTV cameras or something, and something like 50% of them, or a a large percentage of them, have... Um, face recognition technology and people are being tracked um, as, as a standard procedure in China now, not only by their um, their face, but also their technology, what they're using, what they're spending, where they're going. And the government is, I mean, and it's almost unbelievable we're saying this, is drawing up a scoring system for everybody so that you have a personal credit rating for what a good citizen you are. So that, in, in one sense, is happening. We could also argue, I guess, that with, with the... Um, the way we use technology, we're being constantly tracked and um, our privacy is not really in our hands anymore, Um, which is almost as depressing as um, global economic collapse and the world burning in some ways. Yeah, so personal privacy and the surveillance state is spot on for 2019. Well, that's a good start for Ray. Um, Okay, another one he had here from Smart Cities. Computers do most of the vehicle driving. Um, to the point that humans aren't really allowed to drive very much and the computer makes these sort of important decisions 
so that there aren't many accidents anymore. It sounds kind of sensible, I guess. Yeah, but we have the self-driving car acceptance issue here mm, again. I've and mentioned. It, he does say at the end of this prediction, at, at least in its quotation on Wikipedia, as a result, there are very few transportation accidents. Um, I'm not sure how many uh, there are yearly, if that is decreasing. I know we have less fatalities now because people do use their seatbelts more yeah. than than historically in in cars. But even self-driving cars have had fatal accidents in the recent past. Yes, although, again, uh, I think Tesla, again, this is their data, they say that uh, on a per-mile basis, their cars are they have fewer accidents th- when they're being driven on the autopilot than when they're not being driven on autopilot. We c- we, again, we have to take Elon Musk's word for it here, and uh, I think recent events have shown fluid and ductile those words can be. Um, but it does all, it it feels it passes the smell test. That sounds kind of like it could happen soon, couldn't it? Yeah, it sounds like if it was implemented with the the way that he says you know roads have automated driving systems networks of monitoring and communication between cars um if if we were all watched over by machines of loving grace um then we can all get to work on time um and road rage would cease to exist and i could sleep now speaking about road rage uh, ceasing to exist i'm going to skip to this one prototype personal flying vehicles using micro flaps exist I, I didn't look up what micro flaps are. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to ask me what's a micro flap. I'm assuming there's something like the flaps on airplanes, right? I, yeah, I guess. I, I guess they're not flapping wings. But let's get to the point. Where's the, where are the flying cars? Where are the flying cars? Uh, we, we don't have them yet. I mean, actually, some people would say, oh, we have helicopters. But that's not the same. Boring. Yeah, that's it's not a car. Um Maybe you think like Jetsons style or like what I'm what do you Jetsons. want your flying car to look like? I want jetpacks. I want to go straight past. The, I don't want to. I, I want to be full uh, silver shiny suit jetpacks. I would still like something like a windshield between my <laughs> face and the rest of the flying traffic. And the but ground. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he can't be right about everything, but he's got, you know, he's sort of predicted sat navs as well. Um, he's He's pretty on target there. Um, and we can also say that, you know, as part of the avoiding uh, climate change catastrophe, these, he hasn't really mentioned um, electric power yet, I think, unless that's uh, not in, in terms of vehicles. But, you know, these are the kind of things, these kind of changes moving away from the internal combustion engine are the kind of things which could help us avoid global uh, climate catastrophe. I found that Isaac Asimov had more sustainability predictions. One of his um, that we covered in the article was that there would be, we would return to the moon to export industrial operations and then shoot our waste straight out into space where it can't hurt anyone. Except that we know. <laughs> Except all other beings in the universe. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But Very human. I mean, it's fine. There's, there's plenty of sure. space out there. We can shoot junk into it as long as we want Uh, cut that out (laughs) he said that we would export industrial operations to the moon so that we could gather resources from the moon or ship them off of earth for processing and then shoot all of our junk into space and that we would create a solar farm on the moon 
to harness energy from the sun directly in in larger quantities than we can on the earth right and then we would beam it to the earth with microwaves yeah that sounds dangerous doesn't it well i i admitted while writing the article i am not a physicist i don't know if this would actually work yeah I, I don't want to be microwaved. I've seen what happens when you put a peep in the microwave. Yeah, you, you don't. I wouldn't want to go near where the microwaves are, I don't know, collected on the earth. It's going to be warm. I, yeah, but I mean, nice idea. Maybe you could have a very long cable. I don't know. Um, but moving to solar, I mean, that's a thing that's definitely happening. That's yes. an industry that's growing yeah. on planet, on world. Um Yes, and there's this there's this theory that you don't need to cover something like one percent of the Sahara Desert to provide all Europe's energy needs, or something like that. And and that sounds like a reasonable idea, although one percent of the Sahara is <laughs> enormous. Yeah, sounds great yeah, to me. Yeah, that sounds. I'm I'm down with that. Uh, I'm sure it'll happen because in no way is the uh, oil industry infiltrating all of the governments of the world to stop this from happening. Conspiracy theorists. Um, so health tech. He, uh, he said that by 2019, average life expectancy is over 100. That was a bit of a swing and a miss, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know too many people living over 100. I read recently that there was a, f- a famous uh, f- a French lady who was the oldest person in the world, living to 113 or something like that. And there was some research done less last week that uh, suggested that she had lied. She was actually not as old as she said she was, which is exceptional trolling from um, the old, now deceased French lady, who I'm pretty sure had the standard uh, super old person thing down to pat that she has, you know, half a pint of Guinness every day, smoked cigars since she was 16. Yeah, that's the thing. Every time you hear of someone who lives over 100, there's some thing that they do every day and they're like this is it this is why i'm this old now and it's it's like eating slim gyms and drinking diet pepsi and like diet pepsi makes you live forever i guess yeah i I believe that it has a a measurable impact on your uh, quality of life uh so computerized watches clothing and jewelry can monitor the wearer's health continuously they can detect many types of diseases and offer recommendations for treatment this was a good shout yeah part one for sure i mean the apple watch is the thing that this was predicting, absolutely. The disease detection and recommendation part, not so much. Isn't that what that um, total fraud uh, startup was trying to do, where they were like, our, our startup Theronis. will take a, bl- a drop of your blood and and analyze it to do this? Yeah, Theranos, wasn't but it? Did they have yeah. a wearable component to that, or am I... No, but I'm, I presume it was on their hashtag roadmap. Yeah. Uh, it was just sort of little bits of... A tiny drop of blood would solve all your problems. And guess what? It didn't. And major fraud. Uh, yeah, is the not result. a thing. Yeah, not not really. Um, but I guess... Uh, detect many types of diseases. I guess the new watches have got the uh, ECG component where they can measure your heartbeat and probably identify irregular rhythms and say, hey, wait a minute, you're about to die. <laughs> Always good to know. That's I mean, that's a recommendation for treatment. Go to emergency room right now is technically a recommendation. Um, then I, now let's move on to the this part: smartphones and computing, uh, one and the same thing in in today's world. Computers are embedded everywhere in the environment, inside of furniture, jewelry, walls, clothing, etc. We're we're way past that. Alexa has provided enough meme-worthy content to prove that this is part of our life. 
yeah, this is definitely a thing. A lot of his predictions have to do with this concept of ubiquitous computing. So kind of screenless interfaces and people interacting with every object in their life. And that the Internet of Things basically uh, predicted in 1999 for now. Definitely happening. Yeah, Spot I mean, on. For example, you know, another one here is if people communicate with the computers via two-way speech and gestures instead of keyboards, we're kind of getting there um, in terms of the way we, we, we sort of say, hey, Google, and we gestures with the screen. And I, I, Google, I believe, have um, some sort of microwave technology where you can do hand gestures near. They've just got clearance with the, uh, the appropriate... Uh, I guess radio wave authority in, in North America, whatever that is, uh, to make you make a gesture near a piece of equipment and it recognizes what it means. You could swipe in the air and it would it would do something. Awesome. Um, yeah, this actually sounds pretty cool. Um, special gla- uh, VR, uh, augmented reality. He was kind of on the button with that as well, wasn't he? Yeah, definitely. It's just the same problem as with self-driving cars, the adoption problem, uh, where we did have heads-up displays. Uh, like Google Glass, and everyone was like, that looks dumb, and I hate it. It did look dumb. But it could have been so cool. It could have been so cool. There there actually, there's companies like, I want to say Ray-Ban, making more subtle smart glasses um, that can at least do something like they have an an earpiece connected, so it's kind of your, your Bluetooth earpiece and your sunglasses in one, and it will like get notifications and just read them to you as they come in uh, so you don't have to look at your phone i i think that's the deal with where that's going now i mean that sounds like the the, the right way for it to go doesn't it that you know ex- existing manufacturers of uh, eyewear fit technology into them and ray-bans are quite chunky anyway so you could fit a lot of stuff in there so that seems like a, a perfect fit here's one thing i want to ask about rico's bar because he's made a lot of predictions that we've talked about that seem really on the button particularly with uh, you know, smartwatches, cars, embedded technology. How how much? It, I mean, and we're looking at them now from the from the context of people going, "Wow, they, it all kind of happened." Is this? It was, and we sort of joked earlier about him making his predictions true by working for Google. But has he influenced? Have his long term predictions? Do you think actually influenced technology makers, or has he just been able to spot where the natural progression is? I think that as far as um, positive predictions saying this is a thing that will be possible and it will exist, like the self-driving car or the um, heads-up display, you know, VR or gesture sensing computers, um, those are the positive ones and they are easy to, to make them happen. I mean, not easy. It takes years and resources, but... Those are the ones we can point to and say, hey, he predicted this back in 1990 or 1999. The harder ones to prove are the ones like cables connecting computers right. and peripherals have almost completely disappeared. Now, this is the one I was going to pull you up on because this, yeah. I feel like this is the one thing that people really want. They, they, people hate cables to, to, a, to a, a degree that always astonishes me. They hate cables. They want them to be gone. And people would love it if they didn't have cables hanging from behind their TV and everything. We're nowhere near that yet. Yeah, and and another one that I think is a good example. Computers have made paper books and documents almost completely obsolete. So the negative predictions, saying saying what stuff would disappear or get phased out, like automobile accidents or paper um, or cables, they 
they have not come true because we are such a slow-moving people. <laughs> and also, if, if Ray had lived in Germany for any length of time, he would have understood that paper and documents are never going away. In fact, they're, they're probably going to... There's going to be more of them as, as, as time increases if you live in Germany, uh, where bureaucracy is uh, a, a sort of the national hobby. Um, but, I mean, some, but yes, when you say when he, when he makes definite... Um, statements he's kind of he's not quite right but when he, but the, the technology is there you know we don't need paper anymore we have e-ink and we have um, tablets and we have pdfs and you know apart from electricity um, we can connect devices without cables and we, we all have that in our homes so he's it's, it's like you say he's, he's leaving a lot of wiggle room isn't he but g- generally the tech predictions are sort of there yeah, I think what I was trying to say was that the predictions for something new coming into being are definitely happening more often than they aren't. But the predictions for something that is um, inconvenient or undesirable in the world of technology actually disappearing, uh, these negative predictions, um, just aren't happening because we're not very good at progress. Yeah. So he's, he's, a better pre- he's a better predictor of... Um, a progression of, of technology rather than he is of human nature where he he doesn't seem you know, we don't seem to be able to let go of lots of stuff yeah he definitely didn't predict we would still be throwing rocks <laughs> at the self-driving cars <laughs> in 2019 which is which is interesting and maybe maybe his sort of major weak point which is you know he's he's not factored in um the, the variety of human responses to quote-unquote progress because driving self-driving cars may seem to be progress to a lot of people, but not to people who are employed in the driving sector, which is about 20 to 25% of people. Yeah, or people who are afraid it's going to drive across their lawn. Yeah, or their children. Um, uh, but he, but on the whole, you know, smartphones and computing, like you say, when he predicts advances, he's bang on the money. Most business transactions or information inquiries involve dealing with a simulated person, anybody who's been to a website. For example, getgrover.com, you can deal with a real person or maybe it isn't a real person by chatting to them in, in a in a chatbot box and some of the inquiries are real and some are automated that the, that the hellos and we'll and never tell <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is part of the deal and we as a culture we're kind of okay with that to sort of although the, the great chatbot revolution as predicted a couple of years ago hasn't really taken off it's still kind of going behind the scenes i think it's a weird um clash between where the the back-end technology is like natural language processing and ai and the front-end development people still aren't super comfortable with talking to robots or in some situations they are actually more comfortable talking to what's clearly a robot than a human um talking to a, a chat bot that is easily recognizable as a bot for some situations makes a lot more sense um, and in some situations, a simulated person who says, you know, hi, I'm Joe, I'm a podcasting expert, that that would be good in a lot of situations. But the um, the combination of, of these technologies, the, the interface designs and the artificial intelligence parts uh, have not yet met in a way that is beautiful and eloquent and functional. Um, and most people think that dealing with a simulated person is going to be like dealing with Clippy, the office assistant. Yes, which I think in, in light of uh, how 2018 went down would be a, would be absolutely fine, in my opinion. 
I would uh, happily engage with uh, Clippy rather than uh, engaging with the real world at the moment. Um, so, I, I mean, he, he, just to skip through a few of these, because he was really on the, bu on the button with um, thin light world handhold displays with high resolutions, preferred means for viewing documents. That is almost certainly true. Wireless e-connect with internet through glasses, uh, contacts and watches. Now, the contact lens thing hasn't happened yet. Yeah, um, no retina displays really. on the market yet. Um, but he, he, one final thing, and again for 2019, and this is a good point to end on with his predictions. Uh, part two, miscellaneous predictions. Catherine, take it away, please. Oh, this is a prediction that, yes, in part two of our 2019 predictions will be filed under miscellaneous. Household robots are ubiquitous and reliable. It's nice to have both in a in a robot butler, right? Yes, you don't you don't want uh, unreliable and ubiquitous no. robots, and you don't want uh, reliable robots that can't be found. That's right. I you know if you say to your robot butler, "Can you go and uh, fetch my child and slice up my cheese sandwich?" You don't want to get confused. <laughs> yeah, but where where is my robot butler? Yeah, as noted in the past, you are a big fan of the home vacuum cleaner devices. Um, but it's not really the robot butler, is it? It doesn't. No, a Roomba is a very primitive household robot. I yeah. I would like to think that what he is referring to are the ones that can, you know, Yo, bring yes. me a soda on the couch and give me a back massage and do my taxes. And wears a, a Robo tuxedo. That's that's exactly what we want. Um, for... Yeah, where's Robo Jeeves? Yeah, Robo where's Jeeves. Where's my Rosie? Right. Um, so to, to wrap it all up then, I mean, he, I think we can say that he's been, he, his foresight is, Ray's foresight is pretty good. Um, in a word, uh, are his predictions for the next 20 years uh, ones that we can look forward to? Or should we raise an eyebrow? I, I have to admit, I didn't look that far in the future mm. because this next year itself <laughs> can you imagine yeah it's not really worth looking far ahead now isn't it but um ray kurzweil um our uh, soothsayer of soothsayers um there's going to be by the time you hear this podcast there will be a two-part uh, montauk article written by Catherine with all these most fascinating um predictions uh for the coming year um, and the links will be below the podcast. Thanks, Catherine. That was uh, fascinating, and it may, it's actually made me feel a little bit better about striding into 2019 without quite so much fear. Yeah, can I say something else Please. about part two? We kind of got all the heavy shit done mm. in the first installment of this article, the the world events, the, the global changes, the self-driving cars. But in part two, we're going to talk about entertainment and consumer trends. Here's a fun fact. Did you know orange wine is the new rosé? Orange wine? That sounds delicious, I guess. It's actually orange. Spoiler alert for the article. It's orange because the it's made from white grapes, but they're aged longer. So I don't know if you've seen the, the color a grape skin no. changes when you leave it out. I mean, it's... It's brown. It's kind of reddish. So it's brown wine. Is, it that, is, that, is that what we're trying wine. to say? No, it makes an orange wine. Orange wine. Purple grapes don't make purple wine. <laughs> well, they maybe make the, red. Maybe the wine you drink. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
I'm down with the purple wine. Wow, so orange wine's in the look for. I, for one, would get down with a, an, a, a sparkling, a cold glass of sparkling orange wine. If you're on the cutting edge in 2019, you certainly will. I'll say that they need a better, they need a better name than orange wine. Uh, Rosé isn't called pink wine, so they, they need something. Sunset. Sunblush. There you go. You heard it here first. Sunblush wine coming your way, 2019. What do you think about that? I, I can't. <laughs> so, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to visit Montag.wtf to read more of tomorrow's stories today, to read our recent discussions on health tech, bloody implants, the future of creativity, future of money, future of work, play, and sunblush wine. Mm. And I can't stress how amazing the print issues are, so please order them, and you can get free stickers with your uh, beautiful... Uh, inky, papery Montags. That's uh, montag.wtf slash print hyphen editions. If you want to stay in touch, you can hear about Montag's latest posts via Grover's Facebook and Twitter pages. You can find links below the podcast, or you can email us at montag at getgrover.com. Next time on the montage, we'll get back on track and gulp down more delicious issue three alongside our sunblush wine. Uh, coding creativity is the theme. Issue uh, episode 15 will feature some utterly revelatory stuff, including Twitterature, how Twitter has changed the art of literature from the bar to baby shoes, and sound affects. Music might be on new medicine. Uh, we'll find out whether Muzak may soon replace... Prozac. Uh, that's it. So, Catherine, thank you for guiding us uh, along with Gray Kurzweil into 2019. Thank you for having me. The pleasure was all mine. And uh, thank you for me, uh, Joe Sparrow. Goodbye and welcome to the future. The Montage Podcast is giving its listeners an exclusive 10% discount. Just visit getgrover.com, select your tech, and use the code MONTOG10. That's M-O-N-T-A-G-1-0.